a judge in the state of California overturned the state's AR-15 ban, and Governor Gavin Newsom goes ballistic. Plus, Dr. Fauci is a total fraud. What else is new? Case in point this time, he claimed that if you criticize him, you are anti-science. Well, we have proof that that's a lie. Shocker. I am Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, a judge in California has overturned the state's 30-year AR-15 ban, this ban on so-called assault rifles. Governor Gavin Newsom, very far left, obviously goes ballistic over this, and gun control groups are already going nuts and spewing misinformation. Speaking of things you don't want to happen, there are a lot of things that I search for online that aren't anybody's business, so I use ExpressVPN to keep myself safe. I use ExpressVPN as a way to protect against the sale of my personal information. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, can't you just use private mode on your browser to go private so that no one else sees what you're looking for? Well, the answer to that is actually no, unfortunately. It doesn't matter if you're incognito. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can still see every single thing that you have ever searched for, every website you've ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Internet service providers in the U.S., can legally sell your information. Remember, ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. All you have to do is tap one button. It's super easy. So you should do it. You should protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's a good deal. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz. Expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more. I really encourage you to do it. Okay, let's talk about California and what happened in this court ruling. So a judge in California overturned the state's AR-15 ban. It had been banned. Assault rifles had been banned for a long time, decades. Um, this judge, first of all, let's talk about the judge himself. The judge's name is Roger Benitez. Okay. This is what's interesting about this judge, besides the ruling, which we'll get to in just a second. The judge ruled that this assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. This man grew up in Cuba. His family fled Cuba after the communists took over. So there you have somebody who's qualified to talk about the right to keep and bear arms and the foundational principle of our Second Amendment, why we have this in our Constitution. It's not actually for self-defense in the sense protecting yourself against robbery, you can use it that way. You can use it for hunting too. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of the Second Amendment is so citizens can protect themselves against a tyrannical government. Who better to understand this than a man whose family fled Cuba when communists took over? Okay? So first of all, kudos for him. Kudos to him for doing that. This is what he wrote in his ruling. This is one of the most fabulous rulings that I've ever read, let alone the fact that it's so infrequent in this day and age that we get a court ruling on the Second Amendment. This is what Judge Benitez wrote. He wrote, This case is not about extraordinary weapons lying at the outer limits of Second Amendment protection. The banned assault weapons are not bazookas, howitzers, or machine guns. Those arms are dangerous and solely useful for military purposes. Instead, the firearms deemed assault weapons are fairly ordinary, popular modern rifles. This is an average case about average guns used in average ways for average purposes. He goes on to say, one is to be forgiven if one is persuaded by news media and others that the nation is awash with murderous AR-15 assault rifles. The facts, however, do not support this hyperbole, and facts matter. 
Federal Bureau of Investigation murder statistics do not track assault rifles, but they do show that killing by knife attack is far more common than murder by any kind of rifle. In California, he writes, murder by knife occurs seven times more often than murder by rifle. For example, according to FBI statistics for 2019, California saw 252 people murdered with a knife, while 34 people were killed with some type of rifle, not necessarily an AR-15. A Californian is three times more likely to be murdered by an attacker's bare hands, fists, or feet than by his rifle. In 2018, the statistics were even more lopsided, as California saw only 24 murders by some type of rifle. The same pattern can be observed across the nation. Judge Benitez continues, Government is not free to impose its own new policy choices on American citizens where constitutional rights are concerned. California may certainly conceive of a policy that a modern rifle is dangerous in the hands of a criminal and that therefore it is not good public policy to keep modern rifles out of the hands of every citizen. That the Second Amendment, he writes, stands as a shield from government imposition of that policy. There's only one policy enshrined in the Bill of Rights. Guns and ammunition in the hands of criminals, tyrants, and terrorists are dangerous. Guns in the hands of law-abiding responsible citizens are better. To give full life to the core right of self-defense, every law-abiding responsible individual citizen has a constitutionally protected right to keep and bear firearms commonly owned and kept for lawful purposes. That right there, that's my favorite line of the whole ruling. My favorite line. Every law-abiding, responsible, individual citizen has a constitutionally protected right to keep and bear firearms commonly owned and kept for lawful purposes. There's so much packed into that sentence. It absolutely destroys not only the practical talking points from the left about gun control, but the the lack of constitutionality of all of these laws. Speaking of lack of constitutionality, the governor of California, um, the tyrant King Gavin, I call him, his response is as follows. This is how he responded to this ruling. He said, quote, As the son of a judge, I grew up with deep respect for the judicial process and the importance of a judge's ability to make impartial fact-based rulings. But the fact that this judge compared the AR-15, a weapon of war that's used on the battlefield, to a Swiss army knife completely undermines the credibility of this decision and is a slap in the face to the families who've lost loved ones to this weapon. We're not backing down from this fight, he said. We will continue pushing for common sense gun laws that will save lives. Do you know what struck me about Newsom's response here? What did he not mention? in his response. The Constitution. What did he leave out? What argument did he not debunk of the judges? The Second Amendment, our right to keep and bear arms. He just ignored it. He talked about a a verbiage, a piece of rhetoric, a phrase that the judge has used that, that he found offensive. And for that reason, the constitutional argument from this judge nullified, says Newsom, ridiculous. So in the wake of this ruling, which we all should celebrate, this is a victory for the Constitution and for our right to keep and bear arms, our Second Amendment, gun control groups are, of course, going nutty. They are spewing garbage and fake news, false information, uh, misleading statistics, lack of context about AR-15s and guns, private gun ownership in general. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about the AR-15 and about the facts about the AR-15. Now, many of you might not know this, but I actually don't personally like guns surprised, right? Didn't expect me to say that. I don't like guns. Now, I'm a crack shot. I'm very good with them. I own them. I will defend myself and my family if necessary. And I am an absolutist when it comes to the Second Amendment and people's right to keep and bear arms. However, they're not my favorite thing. I don't like them as a hobby. I get nervous using them. Not be, not nervous in the sense that I don't know how to properly use them. I know how to properly use them, but I don't like them as a hobby. I'm not interested in them. Okay? So that brings us to this question that the left likes to peddle all the time. Do Americans really need AR-15s? Who needs an AR-15 to go hunting, leftists will say. That's a dumb question. 
there's many things that we don't need that we still have a right to own. We still have a right to do, right? So it doesn't matter if you need it. You don't have a constitutional right to deprive someone or you don't have a right to deprive someone of their constitutional right just because you think they don't need it, okay? So if you truly think that the Second Amendment should be overturned, then that's what you need to do. You need to introduce a constitutional amendment to overturn the Second Amendment. You can't legislate it away because it's enshrined in the highest law in our land, our Constitution. And by the way, AR-15s are easier to shoot than shotguns, for example, for someone like me who has a small frame. Also, if we're talking about the danger of AR-15s, as the left always does, they like to paint AR-15s as being used solely by mass shooters, school shooters, for the purpose of mass destruction. Here's some statistics. 99.99% of AR-15s in circulation in our country right now are not used for crime. 99.99% not used for crime. So what the left does is they make an emotional argument rather than a factual argument. So we heard Judge Benitez talk about the statistics from 2019, which is the latest uh, FBI statistics that are available, by the way. He talked about 2018. This statistical train doesn't stop. It's not exclusive to just the last two years. This, I mean, you can go back to 2017 when there were 407 murders committed in the United States with rifles, okay? It was still less than knives, blunt objects, fists, handguns, shotguns, yada, 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 okay? In 2017, and I'm going back because I want to use a different year than the judge uses because he's being accused of cherry-picking data. He's being accused of using statistics from the FBI that aren't accurate. They don't accurately represent. They're an isolated incident. No, no, they're not. In 2017, the FBI statistics on homicides said that there were 15,070 homicides in our nation, okay? In 2016, let's look at that year too. In 2016, there were 11,004 gun homicides. And this is where we're going to break it down. In these 11,004 gun homicides in 2016, rifles were only used in 2.5% of total homicides. And again, AR-15s are a subcategory of rifles. So it's not like 2.5% of murders were committed with AR-15s. Shotguns were used in 1.7%. Handguns were used in 47%. Knives were used in 11.9%. Hands and feet were used in 4.4%. Obviously, the knives and hands and feet are a percentage of total homicides, whereas the shotguns and handguns and rifles are a, a total uh, or a percentage of the total gun-related homicides, right? Okay, so clearly, AR-15s are not even close to the predominant weapon used in the commission of a murder. And that's the way it should be phrased, too, in the commission of a murder, because these weapons, they don't get up and walk out of your house on their own. They don't shoot people on their own. They're being operated by a psychopath and a criminal when they're used in the commission of a murder. So it's not the weapon that's doing the killing. It's the person that's doing the killing. So that's, that's fact number one. Piece of reality number one, we'll call it. The second piece of reality here is this talking point from the left and from Newsom, who said that this, these AR-15s are weapons of war. They're used on the battlefield. This is false. It actually just takes a cursory Google to find out the truth here. Or if you know someone who served in the military, they can tell you that too. Newsom just comes off as so out of touch with reality when he talks about this. So AR-15s were specifically designed for a civilian population, right? They are modeled after the M4, which is used on the battlefield. Um, but the difference between the M4 and the AR-15 is that the M4 has the capacity to be fully automatic. The AR-15 does not. That's a really significant difference. Very significant difference. Now, the term assault weapon in and of itself is made up, but the way that the left uses it 
they're not even using it accurately because they use it to describe fully automatic rifles, but the AR-15 is not it's a semi-automatic rifle. So even by their own made-up definition, they're being inaccurate. Now, the other thing is, per Heller, which is a Supreme Court decision, individuals have a right to keep and bear arms uh, of almost any sort as long as they're in the common use, right? That's why you can't necessarily own a tank or a bazooka because it's not in the common use. The AR-15 is in the common use. There are tens of millions of AR-15s and similarly structured semi-automatic rifles in the United States. It's the most popular rifle in the United States. So when Governor Newsom says that these are military weapons, calls them assault weapons, says that they're weapons of war, he's lying because he doesn't know what he's talking about. If you want to be philosophical about it, he is correct because all weapons are weapons of war in the sense that the citizen's right to keep and bear arms is to hold at bay a tyrannical government. So in that sense, all weapons are weapons of war. But in the sense that he's talking, he's being inaccurate. Okay, so the other thing is the judge said something very interesting. Judge Benita said something very interesting in his ruling. He was talking about, the phrase he used was a 30-year failed experiment. So what he meant by that is California has banned AR-15s for years, and it didn't make the difference that California Democrats claimed that it would. It didn't eradicate homicides. It didn't eradicate people using this weapon. It simply didn't work. So regardless of your philosophy on guns and gun control, the practical argument is that AR-15s, if we prohibit them, we won't see murders um, being, we won't see AR-15 used in the commission of murders. Well, that argument failed. In fact, California should have known that this would fail. We know this on a federal level too, not just a state level. We had a so-called assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004. Right. And what happened at the end of it? There was a study. Did this make a difference after 10 years of this policy in our country? Did this make a difference? The Department of Justice conducted the study and found that no, it did not make a statistically significant difference. So, again, the practical side of the argument, anytime someone says, well, we need to ban AR-15s, ask, did it work in California and did it work on the federal level when we banned them for 10 years? The answer to that is no. So then that leaves the only reason why Democrats would advocate for this is because of ideology, okay? Because of ideology. Remember, it doesn't matter if people think that you need an AR-15 or not. Just because you don't think people need them doesn't mean it's constitutional justification to confiscate them or ban them or force people to sell them back to the government as if you can sell something to a government who didn't own it in the first place. Ridiculous. You can't override the Second Amendment without a constitutional amendment doing so. Okay, speaking of fundamentals, human rights, I would like to invite you today to order your copy of Lila Rose's new book, Fighting for Life. As you might know, Lila Rose is the founder of Live Action, and she is the face of the millennial pro-life movement. Now more than ever, it is extremely important that we have real warriors just like Lila going out into the world to make this change. It's based on her own experience. Lila's sharing how you can understand your own talents to become a leader and build a foundation for change and be effective doing so in the face of obstacles. As I mentioned time and time again right here, the left is doing everything they can to destroy America. That's why this book is so important right now. Fighting for Life by Lila Rose is available now wherever you buy your books and you can get yours right now at fightingforlifebook.com. I'm so proud of my friend Lila. I know how hard she worked writing this book. Get your copy now, Fighting for Life at fightingforlifebook.com. Lila, I'm so proud of you. Okay. So back to misinformation and fake news regarding um, AR-15 bans and mass shootings in general. And of course, whenever we talk about misinformation, who else could we be talking about aside from CNN? That's right. So CNN is engaging in propaganda once again, because it's a day that ends in Y. 
They're engaging in propaganda. This time, they they have a mass shooting casualty tracker on the screen of some of their shows. Now, we all remember the COVID casualty tracker that they had on their television screen for over a year, I believe, right? Now they're doing it with mass shooting casualty trackers. And I want to warn everybody, this is not the first time that CNN has used this shady tactic. No, no. They have used it before. So let's remember, let's walk through the last time that they put in, that they did the exact same thing. It was Jim Acosta, actually, specifically, who did the same thing. And it was wildly misleading. So way back in 2017, Jim Acosta tweeted a link to a Vox article. And this is what Acosta tweeted with it. He said, since Sandy Hook, there have been at least 1,552 mass shootings with at least 1,767 people killed and 6,227 wounded. Okay, and this tweet was actually very popular. People were quoting it. People were quoting the Vox article, horrified that there'd been over 1,500 mass shootings. But this was very inaccurate. This was wildly misleading, and here's why. So these are the questions that we need to be asking. What standards are used to determine these numbers? Basically, what constitutes a mass shooting? And who makes up this definition? Is the definition from the FBI? If not, does the group that sets the definition or the benchmark, do they have a political motive? And if so, what is that motive? We also have to ask, are you including gang-related shootings and drug-related shootings? Because those are terrible, of course. Any loss of human life is terrible, but it's not the same as the mass murder of elementary school kids. So basically, in 2017, when Jim Acosta was peddling this statistic, it was just a straight-up lie if you use FBI statistics. Because according to the FBI, only six met the standards for a mass shooting. So why lie? Why not say, hey, the FBI standard for mass shooting says, quote, a number of murders, four or more, occurring during the same incident with no distinctive time period between the murders. Why use a different standard? Well, I'll tell you why. Because liberal groups, gun control activists, count people shot, not people killed. And they do that on purpose to inflate the numbers, to make it seem that it's much more common than it actually is. Okay, so CNN has used this shady trick before. Jim Acosta was caught the first time. They're recycling it a couple years later, hoping people won't recognize it. Do not fall for it. So now the next piece of disinformation that's being peddled by the radical left is another recycled talking point. An Australia-style gun buyback program would reduce crime and violence in America, we're told. Is that true? Let's look at the facts. Let's see if this is reality. Okay, so Australia, interestingly, has more guns in circulation 20 years later, and by the way, when I say 20 years later, this gun confiscation and buyback program happened in 1996. It was analyzed at the 20-year mark in 2015. That's what we're going to be talking about, 1996 to 2015. There were 3.2 million guns in circulation in Australia in 1996. It dropped to 2.5 million in 1997, and then it went up to 3.77 million in 2015. Interesting, right? So people's rights were violated, but it still wasn't effective in taking guns away from people. It just made people criminals. Okay, so this is interesting. Firearm homicides in Australia declined after the 1996 gun confiscation, but that decline followed the same trajectory as was already occurring. Okay, so proponents of Australian style gun buyback programs will tell you, well, yeah, gun murders declined after they after they after the government took away the guns. Well, yes but the context is important. It followed the same trend as before. Okay, firearm suicides also fell after this confiscation in 1996, but 
Again, context is key. Firearm suicides fell after confiscation, but at a lesser rate than non-firearm suicides were already falling. According to the British Journal of Criminology, a 10-year Australian study concluded that firearm confiscation had no effect on firearm homicide. This is the practicality of the thing. It doesn't even take into consideration that if you as an individual citizen of Australia do not participate in Australia's buyback, you're forced to. How are you forced to? Potentially at the point of the government's guns. Now, if this did not work in a nation that had 3 million firearms, think about how it would work in a nation that has 300 million firearms. Because Australia has 3 million, the U.S. has 300 million. Australia also, by the way, is ostensibly allowed to do this. The United States is not because of the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment. If you want to take away citizens' guns, then you propose an amendment to repeal the Second Amendment. You don't just violate it. Okay, the other talking point that's being propagated by the radical left and gun control groups right now is that the CDC was banned from studying gun violence. So how would we know what we can do to stop gun violence? How would we know if these AR-15 bans work? Because the CDC was banned from studying gun violence. This is just straight up false. And here's why. The Obama administration actually hid the results of a study that they did because it didn't, this study that the CDC did, because it didn't suit the narrative of gun control groups. So the Obama administration, as they claimed, by the way, that the CDC was banning them from studying gun violence, they conducted a study, they just brushed it under the rug because it contradicted their political agenda. Okay, the House Appropriations Bill for fiscal year 2020 included $50 million to study gun violence. Yet this is what we hear from gun control activists. We hear that the NRA pushed Congress in 1995 to stop the CDC from spending taxpayer money on gun control research. Congress, in the wake of that, passed the Dickey Amendment in 1996 that prohibited taxpayer funding for studying gun violence. That's what we're told. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. The CDC was never barred from studying gun violence. What happened is the CDC funded a study and when I say study, it should be in quotation marks, in 1993, a biased study that had a pro-gun control advocacy position. It wasn't an unbiased study that resulted in a position that was in line with gun control advocates. It was an advocacy position, right? So in 1996, in response to that advocacy, Congress passed the Dickey Amendment. This is what the Dickey Amendment says. None of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention may be used to advocate or promote gun control. So when the left talks about the Dickey Amendment, when the left says the CDC is banned from studying gun violence, that is not true. What the CDC is prohibited from doing is using taxpayer money to advocate or promote gun control. That's pretty, diff that's pretty different. Very different. Again, in 2013, then-President Obama signed an executive order allocating $10 million to fund gun violence research at the CDC. But the study, you didn't hear about it. Why didn't you hear about it? Because the results didn't fit Obama and the left's narrative. Yet we had Health and Human Service Secretary Azar testify to Congress, and this is what he testified, quote, so my understanding is that the writer does not in any way impede our ability to conduct our research mission. It's simply about advocacy. Okay? And here's why advocacy and promotion of a leftist agenda was a concern. 
the former director of the CDC National Center for Injury Prevention and Control. This is the agency that oversaw gun violence research. His name is Mark Rosenberg. He urged America to, and I quote, to revolutionize the way we look at guns. Like what we did with cigarettes, he said. It used to be that smoking was a glamour symbol, cool, sexy, macho. Now it's dirty, deadly, and banned. End quote. No wonder they had to pass the Dickey Amendment to prevent people like Rosenberg from using your money and my money from funding advocacy and promotion of gun control versus just research on gun violence. The left lies to you. The truth of the matter, the reality, is that there was a steep drop in gun crimes that coincided with an explosion of gun ownership from 1996 to 2014. You can look at the crime statistics. They will show you reality, and it contradicts the leftist narrative. The majority of firearms, firearm-related homicides are not committed with rifles. Less than 3% of gun murders are committed with rifles. Again, semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 are a subset of that category. So what does this tell us when we realize the Democrats are peddling delusion and the reality contradicts the Democrats' narrative? What does this tell us? This is just the first step. Once the Democrats ban semi-automatic rifles and forcibly confiscate our guns, tell us that they're buybacks, It won't materially change the firearm homicide rate. We have evidence to prove that. So what will the Democrats do then? Well, they'll demonize another type of weapon. They'll go after handguns next. And now they'll have the precedent to do it if we let the left ban AR-15s. They'll say we already did it with semi-automatic rifles. All the left will have to do is expand the invented definition of assault firearm to include all semi-automatic weapons, not just rifles, And suddenly the only thing you'll be allowed to do is own a musket. Thank goodness for Judge Benitez in California standing up for the Constitution. Thank goodness for pro-Second Amendment advocates never backing down to the radical left because the facts and the reality are not on the side of the radical left. In fact, there are nine ways that we could stop gun violence in our country and the left is not interested. They ignore it completely. Here are nine ways that we can help stop gun violence. You can abolish gun-free zones. They're literally invitations for killers. Bring your gun. Come on. There's nobody here that's going to be able to defend against what you're doing. Abolish gun-free zones. In schools, arm teachers if they're qualified and capable and willing. If not, hire armed security guards. Protect the kids. If you see something, say something. There's a case to be made for gun violence restraining orders, too. And I know that's a touchy... Subject, and I understand why, because they can be abused. But there is a case for gun violence restraining orders when it comes to domestic violence or previous gun infractions. Call out absent fathers. Nothing impacts the crime rate more than the breakdown of the family. If families are intact, then children are less likely to be criminals when they grow up. Call out absent fathers. If you are old enough and responsible enough, To create that child, you are old enough and responsible enough to care for that child. Raise your child. Teach them right from wrong. Be a role model. We wouldn't have half of the ills in society that we have if the breakdown of the family had not been celebrated by the left. Study the impact of psychotropic drugs, psychiatric drugs. These black box drugs, if you read them and read the back, and I know this is a controversial opinion and it shouldn't be, 
Because this is the reality of what the pharmaceutical companies admit on these drugs, that they can have suicidal and homicidal ideation as side effects of these drugs. It's not common, but it's possible. So study the impacts of these drugs. Also, encourage concealed carry, per- concealed carry permits for people who are qualified and willing to do so. Killers don't always have a death wish. And mass shootings can be mitigated. We have seen this time and time again when law-abiding gun owners step in to protect their family and their friends. And finally, learn from history. Banning guns doesn't work. Criminals still get their hands on guns, but law-abiding citizens have their rights violated. They are less safe or they're forced to break the law themselves just by owning the gun that they already owned. If the left was interested in actually protecting our nation from gun violence, they would get on board with all of these suggestions, but they don't because they're not truly interested in stemming gun violence. They're interested in violating your Second Amendment. Speaking of the truth and reality, I've heard Spencer Clavin's voice every single day in my house for the past two weeks now, every single day. My husband is listening to his podcast. He's become addicted. He's listening to his podcast backwards. I think Spencer's done 54 or 58 episodes. Spencer, you can correct me if that's if that's not precisely accurate. My husband is working his way back through all of the episodes. Whether it's whether it's marriage, whether it's sex, whether it's mortality, whether it's fear, whether it's emotion, it makes you think. It's really good. So, please go to youngheretics.com, subscribe to Spencer's podcast. His voice is rich and melodious. You'll like listening to it. And his grasp of philosophy and how ancient philosophy applies to the modern world is fascinating. Youngheretics.com. Subscribe. Give him a five-star rating. If you like it, give him a review. Youngheretics.com. And please tell Spencer that I sent you and tell him I said hello. Okay. So the clip of the day today is unreal. Absolutely unreal. Dr. Fauci is obviously a total fraud. And here is why. Take a listen. First of all, let me just ask if I'm being fair. Am I am I building you up to be uh, thicker skinned about this than you are? Are you actually worried about this new sort of re-upping of attacks on you? <clears throat> well, I'm concerned about that more because it's really very much an attack on science, I think, Rachel. What is the thread going through what's happening now is very much an anti-science approach. So that's a big, big difference. I mean, it is what it is. I'm a public figure. I'm going to take the arrows and the slings. But they're just they're fabricated. Uh, and, and that's just what it is. But we'll, we'll we'll just have to do our jobs, Rachel. My job was to make a vaccine and use my institute and this talented scientists that we have there and that we fund in the various universities to get a vaccine that was highly safe and highly effective. And we succeeded. That's what I do. All the other stuff is just a terrible, uh, not happy type of a distraction. But it's all nonsense. There's this concern. Is it a natural evolution or is it something that happened out of a lab, an accident or what, or what have you? It is important to understand that. But it is being approached now in a, in a, in a very vehement way, in, in a very distorted way, I believe, by attacking me. I think the, the question is extremely legitimate. You should want to know how this happened so that we can make sure it doesn't happen again. But what's happened in the middle of all that, I've become the object of extraordinary 
I believe, completely inappropriate, distorted, uh, misleading and misrepresented attacks, which, you know, it is what it is, but it's it's happening. And, and that's unfortunate. OK, so apparently criticism of Dr. Fauci is anti-science. This is ridiculous. It's absurd. It's false. Calling out Fauci is not anti-science. Let me tell you what's anti-science. Mandating cloth masks, that is anti-science. Keeping children out of school is anti-science. Locking down stores, retail stores, is anti-science. Closing beaches, kicking me out of the park, is anti-science. Refusing to gather together, even if you've been vaccinated, that is anti-science. Dr. Fauci has supported all of those policies. Fauci himself is not science. Fauci is a fraud. Let me give you some examples. A new study from the Cleveland Clinic finds that people who already had COVID-19 are, quote, unlikely to benefit from getting the vaccine. Well, no duh. No duh. Okay. This study says among the 52,238 included employees in this study, 1,359, 53% of 2,579 Previously infected subjects remained unvaccinated compared to approximately 22,000 of 49,000 not previously infected. The cumulative incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection remained almost zero among previously infected unvaccinated subjects, previously infected subjects who were vaccinated and previously uninfected subjects who were vaccinated compared with a steady increase in cumulative incidence among previously uninfected subjects who remained unvaccinated. Not one of the 1,359 previously infected subjects who remained unvaccinated had a SARS-CoV-2 infection over the duration of the study. Okay? Yet, what are we told? We're told by Dr. Fauci and his ilk that even people who had COVID-19, who were infected, who now have immunities to it, should still get vaccinated. Even though the conclusion of this study is as follows. Individuals who have had SARS-CoV-2 infection are unlikely to benefit from COVID-19 vaccination. But questioning Fauci, according to Fauci, is anti-science? I don't think so. I think the rhetoric Fauci is peddling is anti-science. Here's another example. A quarter of all deaths previously attributed to COVID in Alameda County, this is an article that was published this week, weren't actually caused by COVID-19. The 25% decrease is due to the fact that COVID wasn't a direct cause of death in these cases. That was reported by Oakland Side. Okay? We were told we were conspiracy theorists for saying this just one year ago. We said, wait a second, there's a difference between people who died with COVID-19 and people who died from COVID-19. If you die in a car wreck, a motorcycle crash, and you test positive for COVID-19, COVID-19 didn't kill you. The crash did. But we were told there's no difference and that anybody who has a positive test after they die is considered a COVID death. We were called conspiracy theorists. But now Alameda County health officials find that 411 cases that had previously been categorized as COVID-19 deaths were clearly not caused by the disease. But question Fauci in your anti-science. I don't think so. Fauci was the one who was anti-science on this. Fauci was the one who was anti-science. It's absolutely nutty. Nutty. It's unbelievable. Okay. Next are, oh, this is a good one. The California OSHA, which is the Occupational Hazards and Health Agency, has adopted new rules for workplaces across California that will require workplaces to keep employees masked until all workers are documented to have been vaccinated. 
Okay, these rules were part of an update uh, to the board's emergency temporary standards. Told you that these things wouldn't be temporary, by the way. Told you these would be permanent. Well, now these boards are making it the case. So opponents to this new ruling, opponents like the California Chamber of Commerce are opposed to it. They say this is out of step with CDC guidance. Well, no kidding. Governor Newsom in California, he can actually override these rules. Will he? No. He says the workplaces, and I quote, they're protecting, the workplaces they're protecting, like meatpacking facilities, larger industrial facilities have a different set of challenges and criteria. And so OSHA, always mindful of that. I'll be mindful of that in terms of making subsequent decisions. So this is essentially a mask mandate, or not a mask mandate. This is essentially a, a vax passport. Because Everyone in the workplace is going to be forced to wear a mask unless there's documentation that everybody has been vaccinated. This is anti-science. The people who've been vaccinated, what do they have to fear then? What do they have to fear? Even if somebody unvaccinated catches it, don't they believe that the vaccine protects them? Well, if not, then Dr. Fauci has some splaining to do. Speaking of, of Newsom and COVID, by the way, COVID cases in the state of California are at a record low. The state is actually reopening on June 15th, anybody who wants a vaccine can get one. Yet, Governor Newsom is keeping his state in a state of emergency past June 15th. Why? If COVID cases are at a record low, the state's reopening and anyone who wants a vaccine can get one. Why is Newsom keeping his state in the state of emergency? Maybe because Newsom is a tyrant. It was power he wanted all along. He's like the mini Fauci, right? Okay. Final example here, this is of Fauci being anti-science and Fauci's ilk being anti-science. In case anyone listening to the show still listens to the CDC, which I like to call the Center for Democrat Corruption, please know that the CDC has based guidelines on reopening schools, not on science, because the science shows kids are at low risk for COVID and low risk for transmitting COVID to others. No, no. The CDC based guidelines for reopening schools instead on language from teachers' unions. That's right. The CDC copied rhetoric verbatim from Randy Weingarten's teachers union for official CDC guidance on reopening schools. Holy corruption. Just in case anyone wondered whether criticizing Fauci and criticizing the CDC, criticizing the NIH, criticizing uh, any of Fauci's fellow scientists, in case you thought that was anti-science, it's not. They're the ones proving anti-science. And that's just the reality of the thing. Okay, can I show you something that made my day? This came in over the weekend. It's a testimonial that I got in the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. And it not only made my smile, I couldn't stop thinking about it all day. So first, let me read to you what this individual wrote to me. He said, quote, I am happy to become a part of this community. And it is out of respect that I have become a subscriber. Prior to seeing Liz, I was a devoted CNN follower. But the Liz Wheeler attitude and her style and choice of content opened my eyes to much. I then began to explore other news options. Lo and behold, I became a Liz Wheeler follower. It never occurred to me that news channels were biased and that many news channels are owned by the same entity and that they may have ulterior motives to mislead or control the masses. What I find fascinating is beyond the content. I'm fascinated by the viewpoints and questions asked and the unapologetic attitude and critical thinking demonstrated by Liz Wheeler. I could only imagine being married to Liz and having an argument debate in the house. Let me cut into that and say, I don't think that's my husband's favorite quality of mine. <laughs> he goes on to say, Liz, if you are reading this, you provoke thought, you stimulate my intellect. I'm happy to be a subscriber, end quote. I don't read this 
to pat my own back, right? I read this because this is why you and I do what we do. This is why I do this research. This is why we have this conversation. This is why you take part in fighting this fight for our culture wars, because it works. It's changing people's hearts and minds in an effort to defend the institutions which underpin this moral society that we have in the United States, our constitution, our declaration, the family, all of our rights enshrined in the constitution and the bill of rights. We are making a difference together. I'm so happy that you're part of the Liz Wheeler Show community. By the way, anybody else who wants to join, everybody's invited. Go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Um, We have Tons of benefits and cool stuff going on over there. Plus, we just have this ongoing back and forth that's really fun and really um, a great thing to be a part of. Now, on that note, you can't hear this, but in my ear, the great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer, is telling me that we are out of time. We do have more to talk about. You'll have to tune in tomorrow for a great, great show. In the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought, not critical theory. Question authority. Follow the facts. And do not let governments or corporate wokeism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Download the episodes. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. If you do, it helps us move up the charts, which helps more people discover the show, which helps more people hear reality. Thanks for tuning in today. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Stephen Rays. Assistant Editor, Michael Wall. Assistant Editor, Tommy Weber. Sound Mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-Production Manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. And Production Assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.